Mighty Merp is a production of the Law Office of Melissa Rosenblum and the Niche Podcast Network. Mighty Merp is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite apps and players. But the best way to experience the show is to visit MightyMerp.com. That's MightyMerp.com. Welcome back to the Mighty Merp Podcast. Meg, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Nice to speak with you as well. Thanks for having me on. Um, I love that we can have conversations when um, new case laws come out and you and I go into our full nerdiness. And I thought uh, with some, there's been a lot of cases that have come out in the last few weeks, but um, the new case regarding uh, a diversionary program in New Jersey has come out, uh, State First Richard Gomez. And, um, you know, I know as host of the New Jersey Criminal Podcast, um, this is right up your alley to discuss sort of uh, what the law was and where we are now. Um, So I appreciate you coming on. Um, do you want me to do a backdrop or do you want to kind of explain um, sort of where we were with a pretrial intervention diversionary program, what we thought, what we know generally or historically before this case law came Yeah, out? no, I'm happy to. And please jump in um, if I miss anything. You know, I, I had, just as an aside, uh, done a little clip on my YouTube channel, Meg Horner Law, on the basics of PTI. And towards the end of that clip, uh, and it's under the nuts and bolts of criminal law section on my YouTube channel, I had referenced this issue that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, and, And essentially what we have here is a situation where the New Jersey Supreme Court just uh, last week, Valentine's Day, reversed the appellate division opinion related to the ability of someone who has had a prior conditional discharge, uh, whether or not they are even eligible to apply, and, and a conditional discharge, I should say, for a marijuana possession conviction in municipal court, whether or not they are allowed to apply for PTI. Okay. So I'm going to give you a shout out. I watched the YouTube video and it is a great nuts and bolts of understanding the pretrial intervention diversionary program. So definitely uh, our listeners should go and and listen and watch it. Um, We should just say we're going to refer to PTI as PTI, even though the full name is pretrial intervention. So um, I think there's a few nuances here that you can explain with the diversionary program, what is that in New Jersey? And then uh, sort of where the issue came into play. And I think the issue generally came into play because marijuana was legalized. Um, But what was the law prior to the legalization of marijuana generally and uh, when somebody wanted a diversionary program? Okay, so prior to uh, marijuana becoming legal in New Jersey, Uh, It was always the case that if someone was facing uh, an offense in municipal court, uh, they had the ability, if they had no prior criminal history, to ask the court uh, for a conditional discharge if they were charged with certain drug-related offenses, marijuana under 50 grams being one of them. So, again, way back when, let's just take 
you know, 2015, for example, you get charged with possession of marijuana in municipal court. You have never had the uh, had a diversionary program either at the municipal court level or at the superior court level. You could go in and say, I'll accept responsibility for this marijuana possession uh, and I'm going to ask the court to uh, enter a conditional discharge. It's it was a supervisory program. It is a supervisory program. If the person completes it and it's a there's usually some treatment uh, involved, then at the end of that term, the case gets dismissed. It's very okay. similar to pretrial intervention, which is a diversionary okay. program that is um, a prosecutor's program on the county level. If you so, if for example, you get charged, you've never been charged before with an indictable level offense. It's a third or fourth degree offense. You can ask the prosecutor to consider your admission into PTI, pretrial intervention. Diversionary program case gets dismissed. It was always the case that if someone had a, we call them CDs, conditional discharge for drug-related offenses, it's referred to as a conditional dismissal for other types of offenses on the municipal court level. It was always the case that if you had a CD in municipal court, you were not eligible for PTI. And that was always the case, and that's still the case, and that's where we get the issue involved. Okay, so let me just be clear. Mm -hmm. Dog barking in the background. Um, Let me just be clear so our listeners understand. Um, These are all diversionary programs, correct? Mm -hmm. Whether they were in municipal court or whether they were in superior court. That is correct. And and, and the idea was that you get that diversionary program one time. So whether you had it in municipal court, whether you had it in superior court, you couldn't have it both places. Oftentimes, we would have situations where uh, a defense attorney, when this is speaking when I was a prosecutor, wanted to apply their client to PTI uh, from the criminal history. They've got a CD on there from a, a prior municipal court matter, whether it was conditional discharge, conditional dismissal, um, and the defense attorney would often say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go back to municipal court and undo that so that the person Mm -hmm. is eligible to apply. So it's always been the case, and it's still the case, that if you have a CD on your criminal history, if you had a prior CD, you aren't eligible for PTI. Okay. Now, the other other statute that you kind of need to have the background on, and this is important because the New Jersey Supreme Court, in their recent opinion, reversing the appellate division, basically is looking at these three separate statutes, right? You've got the PTI PTI statutes, which say, hey, you have a prior CD, you're not getting PTI, right? You've then got expungement. Well, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but it actually says if you have a prior diversion. Correct. Right? It doesn't actually specify. You are correct. Correct. a conditional discharge or a conditional dismissal. And it actually pertains to if you have a diversion even in another state. Correct. So any prior diversionary program, and that's that's correct and that's important. Um, let's say, though, for example, um, that you had a prior diversionary program that you had expunged. The expungement statute says that that prior expunged diversionary program may, not shall, but may uh, be used 
For example, if the person were to either apply for PTI again or for purposes of pretrial detention. So that's important because oftentimes you have a situation where somebody gets PTI, um, they get it expunged, they have a new charge, and then you say, well, wait a minute, it was expunged. Can we look back to that for certain things? And the expungement statute says, yeah, you, can, you may for these two situations. And, and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but that's important for something that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. As I said, we're going to go all nerd on this. We are going to, you know, really break it down. And so I think that it's important, the language of may or shall in uh, interpretation and how the Supreme Court came to this decision. Absolutely. And that's what the New Jersey Supreme Court says. They they go through it um, in great detail. So then you have 2021 where you've got the. Uh, Cannabis Regulatory Enforcement Assistance and Marketplace Modernization Act. And the acronym that we will use going forward that is used in the opinion is CREMA. Um, I did a whole series on NJ Criminal Podcasts about CREMA um, with some real good deep Mm -hmm. dives on that legislation, which is actually basically three separate bills kind of in one. The reason this whole case came about was because CREMA says, hey, if we are legalizing certain quantities of marijuana possession. We're going to say, for sake of our discussion today, possession of marijuana under 50 grams, because it's still illegal to sell marijuana unless you're, you know, you've got your licensing. So possession of marijuana under 50 grams as of 2021 is now legal. That legislation also provided for the automatic expungement and the language of that of that statute says by operation of law so you know melissa you had a uh, a a prior conviction for possession of marijuana 10 years ago uh under 50 grams this new crema says that is by operation of law going to be expunged you don't have to do anything and it's expunged or it's it's supposed to be expunged now the 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 issue that we have here and you know we we touched upon it in 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 the nuts and bolts video that i referred to a couple minutes ago came about because there has been a period of time leading up to this new jersey supreme court decision where let's say for example someone had a charge Prior to, prior to the enactment of CREMA, had a charge for marijuana possession. It's legal now, wasn't legal then. They went into municipal court. They asked for and received a conditional discharge, CD. And mm-hmm. conditional discharge is for the drug-related offenses. Conditional dismissal is for non-drug-related offenses. But CD for marijuana, okay? Mm-hmm. Now... They pick up a new charge. CREMA gets enacted. They pick up a new charge, but they've had nothing else. Apply to PTI. The position was that person is not eligible for PTI because they had a prior CD, as we've discussed. That's that's always been the case. That's still the case. And everybody was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. CREMA... 
has has made number one made marijuana legal and number two by operation of law that charge and conviction has been automatically expunged the Right. And mm-hmm. so I always say like when the marijuana, marijuana law took effect, we can call it CREMA, but when marijuana was legalized, because I think that's uh, more pal- palpable, understandable palpable, uh, for mm-hmm. our client, for, you know, our clients or lay people. But when marijuana became legal um, and uh, automatically expunged all the um, arrests, convictions, as well as the conditional discharges, because not everyone filed expungements for the conditional discharges. So it was on defendants' records. Um, I think the defense attorneys thought that this is a no-brainer, you'd be eligible for PTI. And I think the prosecutors thought this is a no-brainer, you've had your diversion. And so my understanding is that the attorney general agreed. They they joined in the all you know the amicus briefs that were filed but so and and so really what it comes down to is if you took advantage of getting a cd for a marijuana related offense prior to the enactment of crema and then post crema picked up an indictable level offense and said wow i'm going to apply for pti you couldn't apply you couldn't even apply because the position was taken that you had a prior diversionary program you are not eligible, okay? What's ironic and what's pointed out in this opinion is that if you hadn't gotten a CD but had gotten a conviction in municipal court, you would be eligible to apply. So that made no sense whatsoever. So let me ask you this. Um, So CREMA took effect in 2021, Correct. Mm -hmm. correct? So for two years... We've been in this unknown world. Correct. Right? Correct. Well, uh, unknown. It, it was, it went to the appellate division and the appellate division ruled against the defendant. So what happened was you had two people in two different counties that uh, one, they, they had both had prior CDs. Okay. They uh, both prior CDs pre-CREMA, pre-legalization of marijuana, and both picked up third or fourth degree offenses post-CREMA after marijuana became legal. Applied to PTI, um, both were told, sorry, you're not even eligible because of that prior CD. Um, I think one of the individuals, the trial court actually said, prosecutor, you've got to uh, consider them anyway. And the other individual, the trial court said no. Okay. Basically, both filed leaves to appeal and they were consolidated. It went to the appellate division and the appellate division ruled against both of them saying, now, you know what, look at the expungement statute. The expungement statute says that you, you may, right, you may look at uh, prior expunged uh, convictions or prior expunged um, PTIs or diversionary programs for a couple reasons. Again, number one, uh, if the person's applying to PTI another time on a new charge, and number two, for pretrial detention type of situations. And that's what the appellate division hung their hat on um, and essentially uh, went 
up to the New Jersey Supreme Court, uh, and they have now looked at these three sets of stat. They looked at the history of CREMA. They looked at the statutes related to PTI. They looked at the expungement statutes. And this is like a law school exam. In, you know, in, in statutory interpretation, read them all together in, in the context of basically um, the intent behind CREMA, right, which is to legalize marijuana. Um, and so said... Well, it was, it was two. It said illegalize marijuana and to treat it comparable to alcohol. Correct. And to, to achieve this remedial purpose, right? Went all back through the legislative intent. They went discussed a, a proposed bill, which didn't come into effect. But in any event, said what we've all been saying, both of these cases have to go back. It didn't say they're automatically in. It said... They can't be barred because of a prior CD. So it has to go back down. It got remanded. Each of these individuals got remanded back down so that they can apply and that this, all of the statutory provisions in PTI can be considered by the prosecutor. Okay. So I'm going to say if, if I asked you, if I was your professor or, or a layperson, I could go either extreme and say, as simply as you could say what the holding, what the rule is, and then we're going to, okay. again, go further nerdy yeah. about why we think what the Supreme Court got. Yeah, I mean, got. I, I think but the like holding really yeah, the, the holding is that if you have a, okay. a conditional discharge uh, for a marijuana-related offense, you are not barred from applying the PTI. Do you agree with that? I mean, and it's as simple think as that. that. I, think, I do think it's as simple as that. And just so it's clear, can it's a prosecutor program, PTI. So uh, prosecutors, you know, can object for different reasons. I've had, you know, it's usually third and fourth degree offenses mostly. You are eligible to apply. I've had prosecutors object on third or fourth degrees. It's their program, so they can do that. So are they able to consider in any way the prior conditions? I don't believe that they can. I don't believe that they can. At the the very, they are not categorically, that's the language that's used, they're not categorically uh, precluded from future admission into PTI. PTI is a prosecutor program. Let's say each of these individuals in this consolidated appeal get sent back down, the prosecutor um, still objects to their admission, what, they would have to go through the factors and the defendants would still have the ability to file a motion to compel PTI to ask the court, you know, make the prosecutor give us PTI. But then the standard is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the standard is basically did the prosecutor, um, what's, what's, the, what's the language I'm looking for? <laughs> abuse of discretion, abuse of right. Discretion. So, you know, I think it's kind of, I think of it, this is kind of like similar to when um, that ruling came out years ago that a person's immigration status, right, cannot be used by the prosecutor as a basis for saying we're not going to allow them into PTI. It's kind of like that. 
and it makes sense. Yeah, it's I, know, I agree with you. <laughs> not only that, it's legalized and it's not, uh, it's not a, uh, a pro se malum offense. It's not an offense that is just evil unto itself. It's, you know, marijuana, marijuana is illegal or was illegal because there was a decision to make it illegal, just like there was a decision at one point to make alcohol illegal, mm -hmm. right? And now alcohol is legalized and marijuana is legalized. Right. So um, I, I do think it makes sense that um, a defendant who had a prior case uh, conditional discharge uh, completed should be eligible for PTI. And I um, have to say that I never thought about it from the perspective of the decision that said, if a defendant actually pled guilty to the marijuana offense. It's not an issue. They can they were, they were in a better situation in the end than somebody who did the diversionary program in Minnesota. Right. And, and again, the appellate so. division was were hanging their hat on the fact that they had a prior diversionary program and so that that could be considered despite the fact that it was expunged uh, automatically by operation. Right. And the PTI is the language in PTI is clear. It you know it says one diversion only is the limitation pursuant to two C forty three dash twelve G one. I mean it's clear on that. Um, so how did the Supreme Court? You know I think you touched on a few of the big phrasing, um, but how did the Supreme Court distinguish the expungement statute? you know, that says um, it can be used even if it's expunged for pretrial, you know, pretrial pre detention or uh, bail at the time. And it can also be used. Um, well, what they said, though, they, they were distinguishing yeah. again by and looking at these three sets of, of statutes, they were. And, and at the very, very end of this opinion, they say this is like a, an unusual situation. This is not, this is a rare situation. Um, we are trying to basically, um, you know, read these three bodies, these three statutes, you know, together in conjunction um, in light of CREMA, uh, in light of this new law that has now said that that prior conduct is not illegal. Right. And that's important. Right. And they made a distinction between the, the, the use of the word may in the expungement statute may look back at a prior diversionary programs um, in, in a new application um, and in conjunction with that oper by operation of law in the CREMA statute, that phrase by operation of law that the prior marijuana convictions are ex automatically expunged. And so they kind of read these three bodies of... I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's a shall. Yeah, it's sh cream. cream is a shall, expungement is a may. So they went into a lot of, you know, discussion about that. Um, but I think ultimately it just makes sense, right? And I was very surprised, and I think a lot of people were, I think a lot of prosecutors were very surprised that an alternate position was taken for so long. Um, I agree, but it, it seemed like every county took that position. I'm not sure if it was because um, that was what the attorney general's position was when it was enacted in 2021. And so they 
continued mm-hmm. or not. But, yeah, but I, um, I thought the attorney general so, had taken the position in the um, amicus brief, and I'd have to go back and look. But I thought they take, they took the position that they agreed um, with mm-hmm. every you know with the defense attorney's position. But I could, I could be wrong on that. And and again, I think they do in a footnote in this opinion. You know, each prosecutor's office were taking I think maybe different positions. So, you know, don't quote me on that. But ultimately, this decision, I think everyone believes, makes sense. And it it looks to the legislative intent of CREMA. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's what they found to be kind of controlling. This idea that CREMA was enacted for a remedial purpose. And we're going to follow that, the intent of that most recent statute in in going mm-hmm. back and interpreting these other two statutes, sets of sets of laws. Um, so let me ask you some questions that you know I think comes up when we have this final determination. What happens to cases that have been resolved over the last two years under what was the belief of what the law was that the defendant was not eligible for PTI? Um, especially after the appellate decision came down, because a lot of cases from a practitioner's point of view were being um, held open, waiting for that decision, right? And then once the decision was made, um, those those cases got pushed forward. Oh, yeah, no, I resolved a case that person applied to PTI. They were uh, found to be... um they were precluded from applying. I mean, they applied, but they said, no, you're not eligible because of a prior CD. And um, I think we resolved it by way of a DP, but you're right. There's a lot of people in that, in this time frame. Um, I mean, you're the, you're the appellate attorney. I don't really do appellate work. Can they go back and reopen their disposition? I think they probably could. It's going to depend on how they resolve the case. So if, again, you have somebody that now, okay, I can't apply to PTI on this because I had a prior CD, I'll have to plead and take probation. And now they have a criminal conviction, right? Because they were told they were not eligible. What what would they do if they called your office? What would you tell them? I would say we would need to file some motions to set aside the plea that it wasn't knowing intelligent and voluntary at the time, you know, um, we would, I would, I would recommend them file reopening with the, the with, filing, the, tr- even with though, the sentencing judge. Initially with the sentencing judge, because I don't now they've you, got a, ju- a judgment of can, conviction, right? Right. So there, there is a way to go back in front of the judge, file a motion to say, um, now that this case has been we decided, apply to PTI. um, Right. We want to withdraw our guilty plea. There's information we have now that we didn't have at the time, you know, and so you um, think they go back. So I the think trial judge as a, I guess that would be the first step, right? Yeah. Motion, motion to vacate the plea mm-hmm. or withdraw the plea and uh, to apply to PTI, you know, um, you we both know that those cases get pushed through because of um, judges and no fault of their own. They have their own pressures of backlog and cases becoming old on their list. And so, 
you know, I'm sure you were getting pushback about not waiting. We knew it was going up to the Supreme Court, right? Right, And you sure felt pressure. And again, I know the judges feel pressure too, because they have numbers and stats and and old cases get looked at um, in a manner of, you know, why do you have a case that's two or three mm-hmm. years old? Um, why is that case not moving? And so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, for somebody who now has a felony conviction, I mean, you said with your case, it was downgraded to a disorderly person's offense. Maybe that individual who can still get an expungement in only three years and a disorderly person's offense might not prevent someone from losing their job is different than a felony conviction as a result of being precluded from PTI. Right. So ultimately, I think it was the right decision. And I think you're right. There are a lot of times where the trial courts are are concerned about moving their cases along. And uh, another another decision that came out uh, last week that we can talk about another time uh, is the state versus Olenowski decision. Um, and without getting down the rabbit hole of that case, um, that's going to, uh, the, the decision that came out on Friday will further delay anyone who was charged with a DWI in the state of New Jersey where um, there was a drug recognition expert involved. So I don't want to get into that, but that's another example of sometimes in order for justice to prevail, you know, we can't be so concerned about the delay uh, that it takes to get there. Um, ultimately, I think that this consolidated opinion that we've talked about, the Gomez decision, was the right one. Uh, I'm glad that the New Jersey Supreme Court came to this decision. Um, and so, uh, but it's a, it's a great example of statutory analysis uh, and reading statutes in conjunction with each other so that, um, you know, they are all interpreted properly. Okay, so this is my uh, always my question when there's an ambiguity or in a new statute. So with the legalization of marijuana. Now, this is like me now wondering what you think happened that it was not clear. It was not clear. I will be the first to say it. It didn't just specifically state what the Supreme Court specifically stated. So my question is, there's the AG's office is in the room, legislature's in the room, the public defender's office in the room, right, as they're legalizing marijuana. I think there were right? probably so many issues that they needed to work through that, I mean, I don't know, but it seems like if they probably just didn't think of it or they would have said it. And so then the question becomes, well, they didn't say it, so how do we interpret that? So I don't know sometimes if it's that they don't, there's so many issues that they Uh, don't address it to the point of they can't agree on it. And so they move forward without including it. We'll let the courts decide. I don't know. I I wasn't in the room. I I wasn't there when the sausage got Mm -hmm. made, but I can't imagine. I cannot imagine any criminal defense attorney not thinking this needs to Mm -hmm. be addressed. 
So I wonder if they felt like the language of by operation of law, the shall language and by operation of law was so clear that they didn't want to like push too much on it. It could be. It could be that they thought it was clear. Right. They thought it was clear. And so, um, yeah, it would be interesting to know if this particular issue ever was addressed. Yeah, I don't know Mm -hmm. the answer to that. I do find that sometimes when uh, new statutes come in to play, um, there's always the my question of did anyone talk to or was there anyone who's going to say, like, do you know how this is going Mm -hmm. to affect sentencing? Well, it's it's like the issue of uh, whether or not the smell of marijuana could be used as reasonable suspicion to right search a car. I think you were some you you were involved in that um, that you know how to add that that particular language was in fact added to crema, and so that was something yeah. that they thought about again um, to be consistent with when a police officer can search an automobile in New Jersey without a warrant if it's an unexpected stop and they have what probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime in a car. Um, then police can generally search a car. The question becomes, well, it was always the case prior to legalization of marijuana that police officer pulls over a car unexpectedly, routine traffic stop, they smell marijuana. You know, you smell marijuana, you think must be smoking marijuana. Before it was made legal, they would search a car without a warrant. Um, and so... Right. And they only needed reasonable suspicion and or probable cause, you know, and, and the smell of marijuana really did, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, justify many searches right. of a vehicle, whether there was ever marijuana right. found but, or but not. But Prima says um, y- you can't do that. Right, right. And and the language was, yeah, I read it and and made sure. I don't think I'm the only person who said it, but I did review it and say, it's got to be clear that it's just not Mm -hmm. sufficient now justification. So that was something that was worked through, Uh, along with a lot of other issues. So I I don't know. I I would tend to think that they probably felt that the portion of the statute, which says that prior marijuana conviction, you know, by operation of law will be expunged, that section. Um, I think they probably Mm -hmm. thought it was clear that that would include those individuals that took advantage of the conditional discharge diversionary program. Now we have a clear answer. The New Jersey Supreme Court has spoken. I think it was the right decision. I do, too. I do, too. Um, a lot of decisions came out recently. I know we're going to have to talk at some point. I'm sure you're going to do it on your podcast. I'm going to do it on my podcast about uh, Olinowski, which you mentioned, which is uh, drug recognition experts in uh, DUI cases. Um, and unfortunately, that decision just really sends it back to the trial court to uh, reevaluate under the new standards. So those cases are going to continue being mm-hmm. delayed. Um but um, and there's been a few other things, uh, search and seizure issues. Yeah, that we'll we'll, we'll get back together on but, those um, and go through them. It's fun doing yeah. this. I do. 
I do really appreciate you coming on to the Mighty Mark podcast and kind of doing a deep dive. Um, I like when we both get nerdy um, and we, you know, are able to like look at the specific language and reasoning of a decision, which is what I love to do when I Me used too. to teach. I, I do. I do you like know, it. And, and I find I- that it that it's important to uh, to dig in right when the decision comes out. Otherwise, um, life gets in the way. Life, life happens. <laughs> So, but before you leave, I tried to do this with you the last time, but since we're officially on the Mighty Merp podcast, I'm going to ask you the question, which is, you have been in criminal defense, you've been a private criminal defense attorney for about five plus years now, and you were a prosecutor in Cape May County, and you also worked as a district attorney in Philadelphia, I think, for to- about 18 years. prosecutor that for right? 18 years and criminal defense attorney for five. So, mm-hmm. I know you have them. Um, crazy court cases. If you, someone asked you, and I am asking, what is the crazy well, court case that when you tell it, people don't even believe it fully, cannot be real. Yeah, it seems, as you know, in this line of work, you know, a common phrase amongst attorneys is, you know, you can't make this shit up. Uh Um, uh, And yes, there have been quite a few. Uh, One that I was thinking about it because you had asked me this the last time we spoke and uh, one that stands out to me. I, I don't know if it's the craziest, but one that I comes to mind. Um, is a case that I handled actually when I was a prosecutor. Um, it was about 2014. Uh, at that point, in t- so you I were- was in Cape May. Uh, I was uh, assigned to uh, the Gangs, Guns, and Narcotics Task Force. And the role of that particular unit was to investigate individuals that were believed to be um, distributing narcotics in and around Cape May County. Um, and so typically the way the investigation, I'm not like giving any way, any secrets, but the, typically the way those investigations work would be, um, you know, someone would get arrested for something. They'd give a tip about someone else that was selling drugs. And so there would be an investigation that would, um, be opened up against that person. And so we had a situation where there was a, um, an individual, um, who had actually owned a couple businesses, in Ocean City, um, I think one, or if not both of which, were destroyed by fires, um, who was uh, be- believed to be mm. selling uh, something known as bath salts. Now, um, bath salts is oftentimes referred to as gravel. Um, the, you know, the chemical name is alpha PVP. But in any event, it was believed that this person was selling uh, selling drugs to the citizens of Cape May County. Interestingly enough, there had been a prior uh, investigation on this particular person that I wasn't involved with where uh, I was told that when they when they went into the home uh, in the basement, he had several alligators that were being raised in the basement. Um, so that was, you know, kind of on everyone's mind. Uh, and so there were several undercover buys um, with this particular person where, you know, and that, and that's typical, right? Undercover goes out, meets with the person, pretends to be buying drugs, goes, buys these bath salts. Now there was a whole separate issue with this case because 
when he was ultimately charged and then indicted, he was indicted under a pretty kind of catch-all provision of the distribution statute, um, which refers to any other Schedule One drug, which is what Alpha PVP these bath salts were. At some point along the line, the state amended the distribution statute to specifically add this particular chemical com- uh, combination. So there was a lot of argument in this case about you know whether or not this drug was even legal or not, and he had taken the position that that it was legal or that he didn't know that it was illegal, which is really never a winning argument. So we had a lot of pretrial motions uh, on that particular issue where I called somebody from the state to determine how something gets scheduled, and this was scheduled by the state, and so it was, in fact, illegal. Um, But the, the interesting thing about this particular case is typically, as you know, when someone, uh, when there are undercover buys made uh, by an undercover to an individual, that provo- that basically leads to probable cause to get a search warrant for the person's house. So we did two undercover buys, uh, got a search warrant for uh, the house. Um, at, when the search warrant was executed, you know, first thing they were looking for were the alligators. Uh, they, they found, they didn't find any alligators. They found some drugs. They found some firearms. They found some money. Um, and then they also found a sex dungeon. <laughs> really, like a room that had all the contraptions, face masks, a long table, um, all kinds of things. I don't know what you're talking about at all, Meg. I don't understand. Tell me. Well, and so more. there were a lot of pretrial motions that by the defense attorney, as, as you can understand, that none of that room should be should come in before the jury. Because what did it have to do with, um, because there were a lot of pictures that were taken when the search warrant was executed of this particular room and all the little devices and contraptions and toys that were in there. Um, And ultimately, um, it was scaled down significantly. Well, it was funny. Yeah, but we we weren't allowed to show 50 pictures of this room, but there was one room and, or one picture rather of the room. And I, 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 I wasn't really allowed to refer to it as the sex dungeon, but a little passing reference to it. Um, and so that was pretty interesting. And ultimately, the reason this case stands out in my mind is because this is the only time that, um, again, as a prosecutor, I presented my case in chief. I rested. I won the Reyes motion. Uh, and then the defendant pled open. Mm-hmm. Correct. Oh, really? Um, and so wow. with no recommendation, of course, at that point in time, I asked for uh, something that was significantly higher than what I had asked prior to trial, right? Because that's, yeah, I did a lot, of, did work, a lot of work. Out, and and uh, the judge did, in fact, and- sentence him uh, significantly higher than he could have had had he pled prior to trial. Now, ultimately, um, that came back down and the presiding criminal judge lowered it a little bit to address Yarborough factors that weren't addressed by the trial court. I think I know what case it is now Mm -hmm. just because of that. So it stands out for... And this is a whole other topic. Alligators, bath salts, sex um, dungeon. Maybe a trial, and then should there really be... This is a whole other podcast. Should there really be a trial tax 
because that's what well, it is, right? You have a constitutional right. right to go to trial. Well, yeah, but but but, but I, I think you would also agree. Position- and I mean, I know this is a defense attorney. You, you generally plea offers should be a little less than what you would get if convicted at trial, weighing the aggravating and mitigating factors and all the things considered. And so it always, I always laugh when I get these offers from these oh, young prosecutors that are like, gonna, are you kidding me? The, the, my client wouldn't get that at trial or that, that's what my client would get if convicted at trial. So I, I think that, that it's not really a tax. It's just the fact that the plea offer is generally a little bit lower to encourage a resolution short of trial. Mm-hmm. And it's a bargain. Like, you know, when you were teaching, I taught sentencing and the rights of the accused. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, the way the system is set up is it's a plea bargain. bargain. And you <laughs> literally, yeah, the plea, literally. And usually when somebody pleads, I'm sure on the case that you just talked about, how many counts of the indictment were there? Versus if you plead, you usually only plead to one count of right. an indictment. This particular person was a certain person, so the plea offer took that minimum mm-hmm. into account. So. Yeah. yeah, and you were on Cape May, too. Right. So. And it, 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 <laughs> you know, it was still in the appellate phases and post-conviction relief act phases after I left. Uh, it went on for a very long really? time. But my former colleagues defended my honor and put it, handled it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I would defend your honor. It was always honor, fair, right? I think, as a prosecutor. Yeah, very fair. And, you know. So what's the name of that case? Do you have, like, you know, I talked about my uh, lockbox, cashbox case. Oh, it's, well, my, yeah, I mean, it, crazy stories. it was it, the alligator case, the sex dungeon case, the bath salt case. There were a lot of different issues in that one. Uh-huh. But I think that I think the sex dungeon was yeah. the sex room. It was a sex room. I don't know that it was a dungeon, but that's what we. Well, I won't say we, but that's what it could be referred to. Well, how would you distinguish? I say, how would you distinguish between sex room versus sex room. dungeon? It wasn't in the basement. It really was. To be fair, it was a room. <laughs> Again, can't make this shit up. <laughs> we. I know. We have a very strange job, whether you're on the prosecutor side or the defense side. It is very strange. It is That's for sure. I can't tell you how many times I have uh, said to someone, you know, just when you think you've heard it all. So if I think of any more, I'll let you know. So um, that sounds great. And Thank you so much for coming on the Mighty Merp podcast. I love having you. Um, I'm happy to talk to you anytime about any. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, Sunday fun day. Talking the law. Always. How far did you run yesterday? Not far. <laughs> Not far. <laughs> yeah, I've got to got to amp it up a little bit if I'm going to finish this half marathon with my daughter next week, but. Oh, I'll finish oh, it. I might walk finish it, it. But I'll finish it. <laughs> so. All right, great. So, nothing. Yeah, have a great day. We'll check have in Have a good soon day. And let's do this again. I appreciate it. Uh, there's a few cases I'd like to come back and talk about. Thank you for listening in. 
Mighty Merp is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite apps and players. But the best way to experience the show is to visit MightyMerp.com. That's MightyMerp.com. This podcast is not a source of legal advice. No two legal cases are the same. Contact an attorney if you require legal assistance.